your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and here's the plan for today's show. So initially, we were going to rerun an oldie but goodie interview that I'd done last year with Ricard Gromberg as today's show, and we still will do that in a couple minutes here. But before we get to it, I had to quickly record a little intro, at least giving my initial reactions to the news that the Detroit Red Wings had placed Jakob Rana on waivers because it's a topic that's very near dear to my heart. As people who have followed my work for the past couple of years know, he is one of my favorite players in the league to watch. I've been talking up how good of a player he is and how valuable he is and how excited I am by him for years now. And so obviously this year has been incredibly worrisome. You know, first and foremost, all that really matters here is Jakob Rana, the, the person, not the player. And it's great to to see that, you know, he was willing and able to take the steps necessary to enter the player assistance program, to get help, to work on himself, to, to figure things out off of the ice. And it seems like he's working towards that. We've only seen him play two games in the NHL so far this year. We've seen him play, or he has played a couple games uh, in AHL in the AHL for the Grand Rapids, the, the Red Wings AHL affiliate so far. And it seems like he's certainly still got a, a long road ahead of him, uh, in particular in terms of getting back up to speed to be able to physically play at the NHL level and in, in, in NHL game action. And so there's that component to this. I was really surprised by this, honestly, because I, I, I just didn't see a player of his caliber being put on waivers at this point, uh, even acknowledging you know, all of the other contextual factors. And so I, I reached out to a number of people to try to you know, suss out and figure out what they were thinking, whether they saw this coming, if they had any 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 news on it. And and honestly, everyone generally seemed to be pretty shocked by it and pretty surprised and pretty taken aback. So um, everyone's still kind of trying to to figure out what's going on and, and see if there's something something deeper to this or if there's other circumstances that we need to consider. We'll see by the time we record tomorrow's show, we're going to know what happened in terms of the waivers processing. And so we'll be able to react to that. And I'm sure we're going to have a lot more intel by then. Um, but in terms of what's going on right now, like I think I'd like to think that part of the logic here for the Red Wings is simply feeling like whether it is some sort of an unspoken, you know, wink, wink agreement with the other teams to just let ran up, spend more time, in Grand Rapids, working on himself, getting back into form before anything happens here. Uh, I, I'd like to think that's the case. And, and and the Red Wings just, you know, quite reasonably thinking, well, listen, how many teams in the league at this point can realistically even fit in a $5.25 million cap hit? Uh, it's totally apples and oranges to compare these two, but it's worth bringing up because a couple of weeks ago when Ely Tolvanen was put on waivers, we were we were shocked that 22 teams passed on him, right? He made it all the way down to the Seattle Kraken, who were 23rd in terms of waiver priority. And entirely different player, you know, when healthy, significantly um, less valuable a, a, a goal scorer and player than, than Jakob Vrana is, but also makes significantly less, right? He makes $1.45 this year and next. And so I thought teams would just be lining up to take a chance on him. And we saw that there was either uh, an inability or an unwillingness to to take on another contract, not even a significant one, but one that's $1.45 million to make that work. And, and Rana makes 5.25 this year, 5.75 in salary next year. Now, listen, he turns 27 in February, he's still 26 years old. 
when he's right and when he's playing and when he's on the ice, one of the best goal scorers in the league. And not only that, but one of the best and most pure lethal five on five goal scorers in the league. And that is an incredibly valuable player. And we've seen him do it for years and be able to create his own shot and convert at a high level. And he can just do things that a very small percentage of NHL players can do. And so you would think that there would be teams incredibly interested in him. And I can't help but think that, you know, a bad team that's low in the standings that does have a ton of uh, financial flexibility would be would do really well here to, you know, acquire him essentially for free by just taking on his contract, allowing him to get right, allowing him to get reps in and get back into form, get on into NHL games, play, score goals. And then either you got an awesome young player who's in his prime for pretty much nothing, or you can go ahead then and retain at 50% salary, let's say, which all of a sudden makes him incredibly more feasible for a number of different teams that are contenders to help acquire him closer to the deadline. He plays for a contender. You acquire free futures in terms of draft picks or prospects along the way. Seems like a no-brainer. So we'll see what happens. I'm very curious to see how this plays out, what the logic was here, what the Red Wings were thinking, how it all turns out for them. And I'm sure by the time we record tomorrow, as I said, we'll know plenty more on that. All right. With that out of the way, let's get to the originally planned conversation that I recorded last year with head coach Ricker Gromberg. And part of why I wanted to bring it back at this time in particular is A, I think it's really interesting and I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, but B, recently over the holidays, it might have snuck under the radar to uh, a lot of NHL fans, maybe not to uh, Canucks fans listening to this on Sportsnet Live because um, you know they, they've been interested in him for, for a while now. But he did part ways with his team, the Zurich Lions, over the holidays. And the reason why that timing was interesting in particular was he was expected already to leave the team at the end of the season, but they went ahead and essentially fast-tracked that process, making him a free agent in season along the way. And so the rumor mill understandably started uh, buzzing or churning or whatever whatever action the, the rumor mill does to, to get going. Basically, people's interested, interest was piqued. And uh, I don't have any insider knowledge on this. I haven't spoken to Ricard in the meantime since we recorded this podcast. Um, but from what I gather, teams are understandably interested or paying attention to this story. And and honestly, they should be. I, I think you'll hear for yourself in over the course of this interview. He's He's awesome. Like we chatted about using data to help make coaching decisions behind the bench, um, how to communicate with players in terms of the way they're playing and and not necessarily uh, inundating them with all these numbers and stats and, and none of that. You know, just in terms of being aware of what's going on and then being able to communicate with with them so that he can they can either focus on something or you know keep an eye out on something or get better or just kind of appreciate the patterns that are happening in their game. Uh, we talked about you know, balancing long-term process with short-term results, which is a, a key for coaches over a full season, especially if you're going to talk about the NHL where you're, you're playing 82 regular season games. There's going to be a lot of highs and lows along the way, and you might be winning a bunch of games, but your, your, your play is actually slipping and it can be alarming. Or you could be losing some games, but you feel like your process is good, you're dominating possession, everything's going except you're just not getting some some breaks or some bounces here or there. And so kind of how do you stick with that process? And of course, while I had him on, I had to ask him about coaching at the at the 2016 World Cup because that is a, a personal favorite event of mine. And you know his experiences facing Team North America and kind of the the supernova that was at the time, 
and also getting to work, uh, you know, closely with the Sedins and coaching them as well. I was really fascinated by all that stuff, and and he certainly delivered. So, anyways, I really like the way he he views the game, uh, how he thinks about this stuff, the way he he puts it all together uh, into one package. And so, I think you're going to really enjoy it. And that's all I got. I think I've said enough on the topic. So we will run the tape, and you're going to hear my interview with Coach Ricard Gromberg. And joining is my buddy Ricard Gromberg. Ricard, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. Not much. We're hanging out here in Zurich. It's a uh, night for me and a morning for you. That's right. Yeah, we had to. Uh, I had to get my coffee. We started a bit earlier than expected, so uh, hopefully the coffee kicks in as we get going here. Um, I, I put myself in a a bit of a rare and awkward position here, where you could argue that I only have the second best beard on the show, and and that's usually not something I find myself saying when I'm recording the PDO cast. So I'm just gonna have to find a way to push past that. But you've obviously been working on that one for a couple of years now. Yeah, I know it's been a little bit of a trademark, I guess, but uh, you know, I, I don't mind the beard, especially now in winter time and everything else. You try and keep yourself warm, and yeah, I know it's uh, uh, it's been, been with me for a while now, and I'm probably gonna stick with it for a little bit too. Yeah. Um, all right. So I've got a couple topics here. I've known for a while that we were gonna record this show, so I've been thinking about it. I've been jotting down some notes. So I'm just gonna run some stuff by you, and uh, and see how how far we go. So I'm really interested in. Um, you know, the, the idea of implementing uh, analytics or I guess, uh, you know, kind of more progressive thoughts or ideas or even just sort of data analysis, even if it can be very simple, into actual on-ice product, right? It's one thing for, for people like myself to be, you know, talking about it on podcasts or, or writing blogs, but it's an entirely different thing to actually make use out of it, get functionality out of it by either, you know, preparing for your opponent by kind of scouting their tendencies and, and sort of figuring out where they like to attack from and how you can try to minimize that, or even your own players, you know, this defense pair works for whatever reason, or these two guys, you'd think they'd work, but their numbers together just aren't, aren't right. I'm really curious about sort of um, your approach there. And obviously you've been coaching for a while now at, at many different stops and, and, and that's certainly evolved over the years, but do you kind of feel that, that, that sort of shift in, in, in the profession in terms of, um, sort of sort of keeping up with that and, and actually sort of incorporating some of this stuff into actual decision making beyond just kind of going with your gut at all times yeah no and, and at, the, at the end of the day i, I think absolutely uh, we, we implementing i think uh, you know us as, as, as head coaches and, and our coaches period um you know we we, we try to always have an edge uh, i mean that's at the end of the day that's the reason why you, you dig a little bit deeper and we're living in the information society right now there's a lot of information is out there um and for, for me it's the biggest thing is that you need to try to boil it down. I mean, information is not hard to get a hold of, but you need to boil it down. You need to boil it down in, in a sense of, of making everyone understands that you present it to. Uh, and uh, when it's being presented to me, uh, I need to understand it. And I, I like to incorporate when you when we have tendencies of showing pictures of it and pictures for me, uh, that's how my brain is working. I need to see uh, that on, on, on uh, uh, you know, game tapes and whatnot and, 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 and if you're doing that, you see the tendencies very clearly. Mm -hmm. uh, we do not have here in Switzerland. We do don't have a, an NHL staff, so so we uh, we're working very intimately with uh, with our uh, with that we, we do obviously get supplied with with uh, information when it comes to analytics and whatnot. Uh, but you know, you also need to look at it critically uh, in a sense. If you're not doing that yourself, the data yourself. Uh, you need to look at it critically and and uh, but again I, I think the biggest thing for me is that uh, it needs to be easily understood it needs to be easily broken down and be easily presented especially when you're doing it with the players 
Yeah, well, I find that's that, that's probably one of the big obstacles, right? You're sort of the the middleman for that for that flow of information, where it's up to you to obviously make use of it and figure out what's important and what's not and how you want to utilize it, but also communicating it efficient uh, efficiently, right? Like the, I imagine the level of appetite from player to player is probably going to vary in terms of how much you can sort of communicate with them on, oh, like this is happening out there, or oh, maybe you want to check this out or whatever. And, and some guys you might just kind of leave them alone or, or not even present them because you know that it's just not going to be received properly. Yeah, and, and and to me, I'm I'm a, I'm a communications guy. That, that's mm-hmm. uh, you know my background. Um, and when we're sitting in our morning meetings with all the coaches, we're discussing these things. And when we see tendencies going one way, and I have an uh, assistant coach that's been with me now for for 11 years through the national teams with Sweden. Also, he moved down here in Zurich with me, Johan Andersson, who was very in tune with. Um, you know, when it comes to analytics and everything else, and and he knows how my brain is working. So when he presents something new, he a lot of times he incorporates that with, with showing pictures. Uh, if, if I see pictures of it, see the tendencies, it's going to be a lot easier for me to, to implement it in our game plan for, for that, uh, uh, that you know future game or in practice, how what we need to get better at and, and keep working on it and what's actually working. So, uh, I, again, as coaches, we're always trying to find an edge, if you like, uh, and that's what I think analytics is, is very effective if, if it gets presented in the right way. You know, you, you speak about how, um, you know, you're focusing on tendencies and, and kind of the visual element. Do, do you find yourself... Are you more interested um, in, in terms of at least like the preparation when you're, when you're sort of preparing uh, in specific events or, or do you find yourself more interested in the results? Do you just want to know like, okay, what did this lead to ultimately? It doesn't matter. Or are you more interested in, oh, okay, well, you know, if this one little thing in the entire process is good or bad, maybe it's influencing the results. I think it's a combination of everything. It, it, the, you know, you look. You're obviously trying to look into the future a little bit, which is which is always a little tough. But uh, by learning from from the past, and and uh, the biggest thing for me is is the sample size. Um, you know, you can't just go a tendency. It's, it's like watching a, a game. And you see one situation in that game, and suddenly that's the complete truth for the whole game, and that's that's to me the sample size. If if it keeps repeating itself, yeah, now we we have something that's really good or something that's maybe not so good. Um, so you know, sample size one thing. Uh, we 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 do we try to stress test our systems uh, continuously when we're sitting down having those discussions in the morning with the, the coaching staff. Um, and uh, you know, we're doing everything with analytics. And also, obviously, video is is a, is a big thing for. And then I'm watching that. Um, everything from looking because you, you know, us coaches, we're trying to get the games into our strengths. You know, what, what are our strengths as, as a team? That's somewhere where you're starting. That's kind of the, the foundation of everything. And then you're trying to find situations, and, and, and in this case, obviously analytics uh, to help you out of, of getting those those tendencies and going in your favor. Yeah, you know, it, it's so interesting. Like for me, it ultimately boils down to um, you know you're gonna have these in-game settings where they're just higher leverage moments, and and you you can kind of it's not as as cut and dried as oh you know if we change this one thing all of a sudden we're gonna win the game or not anything because a lot of different factors go into it. It's just for me, you're you're giving yourself a, a slight mini competitive advantage, right? And I remember I had um, the only other uh, head coach that I that I've had on the show in the past was John Mabruski, who was working with the U.S. National Development Program, and 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 then went on to the uh, Kings AHL affiliate. And he was very interested in all this stuff, and we'd message back and forth about it. And one of his sort of con- concerns, or or how um, he felt that one of the the pushbacks or drawbacks to really implementing a lot of this stuff in game settings was people, for whatever reason, whether it's coaches or or people in organizations or players, had this fear that. Uh, using too much data was going to 
sort of uh, robot roboticize it, right? It was going to kind of get in the way of them doing their job and sort of just totally change the way things have been operating for for however many years they've been doing it. And I really think that's a that's a misnomer. I just view it all as kind of additional information, and then it's ultimately up to you whether you're the GM or whether you're the coach or whether you're the player. Um, as a decision maker to kind of figure out how much of that you want to incorporate. It's like, like any organization, any, any business, right. You, you'd want to have obviously too much information can, it can become a problem, but uh, it, it's weird to me that some people would kind of blindly just ignore stuff just because they're scared of what it might tell them. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, us, us as head coaches, especially, I mean, we, we're really getting paid to make decisions, you know, mm-hmm. and, and how do you make the best decisions? And for me is, you know, what I like about analytics and statistics is it's a cold value, right? It, it's a cold value. You take away the emotions and everything else. This is actually what happens, right? Uh, and somehow that, that's kind of a good foundation too. Uh, I'm not saying you should take away all the, the emotional part. And like, yeah, that's, that's, that's the reason why we're doing this, playing this game. And that's the reason I'm involved in this game. I think you can make better decisions based on just cold value sometimes too. Uh, so, you know, it, at the end of the day, I think that the best way for me to describe it is you need to be able to, to present it in, in a good way. I don't like the robotic way. I like the players to play the game. Um, but if we can help them out by giving them, okay, if, if you're going to be around this area, say that you're more likely going to score, or if you're around this area as a defensive play, you know, you're more likely going to you know, hinder the, the opponents to score. Uh, just to give you an example of, of, of just simplify uh, mm-hmm. the information. Uh, and I think if you present it that way with, with, with players, I think you, you know, you can give tendencies and you can obviously be rep- repetitious in practice and whatnot. So um, uh, yeah, for myself, I like to stress test our system all the time, continuous stress test. Um, I, I hate the idea of incest of ideas of like we're saying the same thing all over again from, from, from uh, you know, um, August or whatever, when we get together until, yeah. you know, March or, or April or, 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 certain cases may so so i, I continue to ask those uh, you know questions and and uh, you know, one way to do it is with numbers another way to do it is a video and there's different ways to do it and, and see obviously see you know for me i mean i, I like the I like to communicate with the players. I like to, sometimes it's easier when you have a video, when you have some stat, statistics, some analytics to sit down and discuss and talk about it and then other stuff come up, comes up as well. So um, uh, I think that's uh, the, the biggest thing, again, with the information society we're living in today is, is for me as a head coach, it's kind of, you know, if you like, you have a lot of balls in the area to try, <laughs> try to get them down and, and, and somehow um, okay, how do, what are we doing today? Um, and let the players uh, focus on, on you know, making the trade better and whatnot, and you're helping them out with that way. Yeah, well, so kind of tapping into that a little bit, I'm, at, I'm curious for sort of when you're behind the bench coaching, how do you balance, um, you know, the idea of, of the process in terms of the way your team is playing versus the actual results? Because ultimately... Uh, you're going to be judged based on your wins and losses, right? Like that's what, that's what matters at the end of the day. But I do find that, especially in smaller samples, being re- overly reactionary in this sport, which is, it can be so random. Sometimes there can be so much luck involved. You can get yourself in trouble if you're just purely judging a team's performance based on whether they won or lost. Uh, it's a good way to kind of wind up chasing your own tail. Uh, and, and so, you know, there's going to be individual games or even stretches of games where, you're playing really well. Uh, you're doing everything that, you know, you've talked about before the game and in practices that you want your team to do, but the puck just doesn't go in, or maybe your goalie isn't making the the saves that you think they should make and you have nothing to show for it. Right. And, and so I imagine it's, 
it's, it's tough as, as the coach, everyone's looking to you. Okay. Like, how do we get out of this slump? How do we, how do we fix this? And, you know, it might not be palatable for you to just sit back and do nothing because it's going to give off the illusion that you don't care or that you're not kind of tuned in or dialed into what's going on. But you might in the back of your head be thinking, listen, if we keep playing this way, we're going to get the wins eventually. We just kind of need to stick with it. Do you, do you find yourself kind of struggling with that sometimes? Or, or how do you sort of balance those two things between uh, the way you feel your team's playing and whether you actually are getting the results that you think you should get for it? Well, and, and that's an excellent question. I mean, again, we're, we're all emotional. We're all, uh, a lot of times, especially five minutes after the game, you, you value that, that game based on the result. Uh, and that's the reason why, you know, most of the time I never go into the team after a game because, you know, you're still emotionally attached to, to that, those those type of situations or, or your, uh, uh, your impressions of what happened in the game versus, you know, watch the game through. I always watch the game from, from start to till the end after a game uh, just to get a feel for, for what actually happened. And a lot of times, you know, you, you're not right when you're on the bench compared to what happens when you actually watch the game on, on video because there's so many things that, that influence your, your uh, especially the result, influence your, your impression of what happened in the game. So, uh, but at the same time, I, I think everyone's talking about, you know, trust the process. No matter win or lose, we're trying to be very, um, uh, you know, methodical in the way we're presenting stuff. Uh, to the team, and when I say stuff, it's it's te- tendencies in games. If, we, like you said, you know, if, if we keep doing this, it's going to be really good. Hey, maybe we should we need to practice more of this. But that's more of a, a coaching situation versus when you present it to the team. Because right. a lot of times, like you said, you know, lose one or two games. A lot of times, now we start playing mind games with yourselves, and the players start playing mind games with themselves instead of oh, refocus them and say, hey, listen, this is what happened in the game. This is those are the things we need to do better. Win or lose, these are the things we need to do better. These are the things we need to keep, keep doing. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's, that's to me, is the process. What are you doing every day? And, and uh, you know, you're trying to get the emotional part of it as much as possible, you know, versus before the game, you know, you try to get, the, you know, the emotion going a little bit. Uh, after the game, it's more, okay, what happened? Uh, we, we always have, after a game, we're breaking down. We have some some tendencies in the games. We always break down after a game. And, and I asked the players, too, if we have something called after-action review after a game. Um, and after-action review, you know, this comes from the Navy SEALs. After a mission, they go on. And it's a flat organization where everyone can speak, no matter what, uh, uh, you know, what level they are in the military. And we're doing the same thing. I'm asking a question for players because they're actually on the ice and they see them maybe a different way. So I always start with after action review, and after that, I have a little bit of what I call a package of um, this is this is what the statistics says. This is the analytics on the statistics. This is the video. Uh, these are a few things we need to do. If you keep doing it, believe in what we're doing, and that's that's to me that's you know quote unquote trust the process. That's that is the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know all these the, the information you, you get, uh, I think is very very important that you you present in the right way. Yeah, it's always so interesting to me. You often hear when a you know if a team wins a game or something, and then it's like, okay, we're keeping the same lineup, even if if we might have better options available. Let's say someone was injured, and and then now they can't get back into the lineup because we won the last game. And it's like, well, no, the, the new game is an entirely different thing, right? Like you should be you should be kind of focusing on what's to come as opposed to to just worrying purely if you won the last game or not. So that's always kind of interesting to me how you how you manage those two things. All right, let's take a quick little break here in the show. And when we come back, we're going to keep running the rest of my conversation with Coach Rickard Gromberg. You are listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The thing that I did want to talk to you about was, is, you know, 
these days you see players with with the advancements in skill development just what they're capable of with the puck with the under stick is is has developed so much uh over the past however many years even since i started really working in this sport like a decade ago or so like just seeing what guys are able to do on a day-to-day basis now is incredible compared to where we were at back then uh you know you watch someone like like Trevor Zegers flipped the puck over over the cage to a teammate that bats it out of the air. You see some of these highlight reel plays. What are, what are you thinking as a coach? Because obviously I imagine when you have a, a very talented, skilled player that can do some of that stuff, or maybe you see them doing it in practice. Like, yeah, if they if it leads to goals, yeah, I imagine you're like, okay, well, this is what makes this player special. So I need to give them the the kind of freedom to pursue that. But obviously you know as well that, sometimes that could lead to, to mistakes or turnovers. And we know that coaches sometimes you get really irritated when players don't do the simple play and try to kind of get themselves in trouble by, by going above and beyond their means. So how do you sort of balance those two things in terms of creating a space where you, where you enable your skilled players to, to try stuff and experiment and do what makes them special while also kind of playing in that team setting and, and, and sort of, um, you know, playing the role of disciplinary or whatever you want to call it as a coach while you, you know what I mean? In terms of like those two uh, sort of thought processes. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the million dollar question every day. Right. So uh, I believe in that you, you need to let the players make decisions on the ice. That's, that's the biggest thing for me. Um, our job as, as coaches, we're helping them out with a foundation uh, that, that is a team sport. We're working together uh, positionally strong and all that stuff. Um, you know, we, we give, we feed them in information. We, we boil the information down, like I said, and present it in a way that the, you know, everyone understands and, and it's easy to, okay, this is, if we just keep doing this, things are going to be pretty good. Now, you know, I, you know, what happens in a game situation, a lot of times the guys are actually breaking them all. The guys, the guys are breaking out, uh, doing something that, um, it changes the, the, the tempo of the game because now nowadays every team is so well coached. Every team, um, you know, have very good players uh, at the professional level. Uh, so, you know, the guys that actually can break the pattern to do something different uh, is, is a lot of times going to be the game breaker. I mean, that's a 2-1 game or, 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 or a, you know, 3-2 goal or whatever. Um, so, you know, it would be wrong for me as a coach to take that away from players. Um, now, if this doesn't work, you know, continues to do the same thing, repetitively try to do the same thing, and it doesn't work, is my also my job to let them know, hey, listen, this is not working. Right. You know, don't don't keep doing it. You know, um, but at the end of the day, hockey is a, a you know you need to allow the players to make decisions, and, lot, and sometimes it's going to be mistakes. It's just we're in, we're in the ice, you're making mistakes, and and uh, in, in in what. Put it this way: is, is is it a selfish decision? Is it is it a decision based on hey, I try you just try to do something to to win the game for us? There's there's a, so many things that that plays into you know, me as as a coach because I, I need to guide them in the right way and making good decisions and sound decisions on the ice. Uh, and, and again, it's it's a million dollar question because everyone is so fun, fundamentally strong right now when it comes to to being coached and individually, you know, uh, game plan tactics, as well as team tactics and strategy that, uh, you know, you need to have players that can actually break the ball a little bit. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. That's very well said. Um, all right. Well, so enough of the serious stuff, let's get to the truly important stuff. The reason why I invited you on the show, 
I, I use the guise of having a thoughtful conversation about coaching tactics and implementing analytical concepts. But the real reason I wanted to have you on was to geek out about the 2016 World Cup of Hockey uh, and the game you were behind the bench for against Team North America when you were coaching Team Sweden. And I'm not sure if you talked about this elsewhere publicly or or uh, or whatnot. And I'm not totally sure how many people even care. Like it was just an event that happened over five years ago. I, I know that there's uh, a cult following for it. And, and whenever I tweet about it or I show video that I know people get excited about it, I, I do think there's a certain level of, of nostalgia for the event. It's been so long since we got to see uh, an event of that sort in a competitive setting with a, with a best on best tournament. And I guess it is a timely conversation for us to have now with the recent news that the NHL won't be going to the Olympics this year again, once again, depriving us of that sort of tournament. But, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a game that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's certainly the signature game of that tournament. You got a front row seat for it. So I just wanted to kind of, I unpack it all for you. Like the entire experience, uh, obviously the incentives were different for your team versus team North America. Once the game got into uh, overtime, uh, you know, they, they hadn't advanced and I, I think they weren't aware of it at the moment and they were just kind of playing. And so it wasn't necessarily like a, a do or die type of elimination game for you, but I imagine it's also, um, you know, something that, that you literally had a front row seat for. And it's, it's a game that is uh, remembered very prominently. Like it's one of the few memories of a game that I have that really is etched in, in my mind from, from start to finish. And I know that it kind of captured the attention of everyone. Like everyone was talking about, it, everyone still is talking about it. So um, I kind of just wanted to get into that a, a little bit with you. What was the, what, what are your kind of lasting memories of, of that game in particular, or, or I guess the event as a whole in terms of how you remember it five plus years now? Yeah, that, that was my, my, uh, my first, first uh, experience as head coach too for the national team at uh, that level I've been with the team for a long time but as a first time as a head coach and um, you know we uh, we did get the, the toughest schedule that's at least what the, the, uh, the you know, it was a big draw and all that stuff we had a really tough schedule and we played back to back and we so we knew this game was going to be really really tough um, you know after winning the first two games we're still not ahead of, of making the playoffs uh, because of other results and in, in, in that we needed you know we needed a tie at the end of the day we needed a tie um, and but we knew it was going to be a really really tough game, and we knew we seen them obviously the team North America play in those other games, and we see them in also next the exhibition games. We know how explosive they were, uh, they were at that that point in time. So for for us, the big discussion we have should be start match right away with, uh, you know, we had a Marcus Kruger line with Hagelin and, and uh, Silverberg, which was a, a very very solid line that uh, they can definitely um, you know be matched against the McDavid line and. and, and potentially uh, be, be sold that way. But we decided before the game that you know, we're going to go ahead with, because we were successful in other two games against Russia and Finland, went into that game, winning both those games, that you know, we're starting out. And, and you, know, you remember the start, I mean, it was it was 2 nothing, And, and uh, you know, they had a couple of breakaways, they had a penalty shot. I mean, we were just, oh, how do we stop the bleeding? And, and you know, at that, that point in time, obviously, we made a change in the coaching and line against uh, the McDavid line and then did an awesome job and a really good job rest of the game um, and obviously put out the fire a little bit to start out of the game and I think we um, you know we got that goal by, by Forsberg in the first period which was a huge goal for us and then after that I think we slowly because we knew we didn't have that, that explosiveness when it comes to we had, we had a lot of smartness on the team so you know the more the game went on, the more the game went on. I think we we started to eat ourselves into the game, and and at the end, obviously, we got the result. And we 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 
I mean, I even brought the guys in in the last commercial break. Hey, they're going to pull the goalie here. Just be ready. They're going to pull the goalie. Be, be ready. So um, they never did that. And, and it was a little bit of a surprise from, from our part. Obviously, for us, it was just uh, we needed to, to, to get that tie. And we were, we were ahead. And, and obviously, the, the, uh, the overtime was going back and forth. Like we could easily won that game before uh, McKinnon scored that last goal. But, uh, yeah, no, at the end of the day, it was a, it was an unbelievable display of, of skills and speed. Uh, and again, we were we were trying to stop the bleeding to start out the game, and and uh, but you know we we also knew if the more the game went on, I think our experience uh, also uh, was showing. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I didn't really register it at the time, obviously. And then I've I've rewatched, and I recommend anyone that that is listening to this if you haven't seen it or or, or whatever. There's a full version on on YouTube. It's it's over two hours long, but it's just pure joy the entire time. I I, I make make a habit of pulling it up every once in a while if I'm feeling a bit down. It, it just provides me with a shot of serotonin, and I feel better instantly because it's such a fun game. But, um, you know, upon recent rewatches, I I, I do kind of notice it's. And part of what makes that that matchup so fun for me was you see the difference in kind of playing style, or maybe it, it's such a um, it's a wonderful time capsule for where we are at in hockey in terms of the different eras because the game starts off on opening puck drop. It's the Sidians versus McDavid and Matthews, and instantly now rewatching it, I'm like, oh, that's 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 an interest, interesting matchup and interesting that you kind of went power versus power in that regard. And obviously, I think ten seconds in or whatever, McDavid has a breakaway, draws a penalty, they wind up scoring, and it, that's kind of why I wanted to talk to you about it. Cause I'm really curious about that sort of element of um, when a game starts like that, I, I think Eric Carlson referred to it as the first couple of minutes as the, the most embarrassing stretch he's, he's played through in terms of you guys going down to nothing. And, and really, if it weren't for Lundqvist, it could have been much worse at the time. Um, you know, first off, you come into a game with a game plan and when things go poorly like that, right out of the gate and you, and you said yourself here that, that you kind of change the matchup, um, how quick are you to kind of make that adjustment? Do you um, do you let things kind of play out to try to gather your bearings and kind of calibrate, especially when a team is playing as fast as Team North America was at that time? Do you give your players a chance to sort of ease into the game? Because I think at the end of the first period, it was you were only down 3-2, right? You'd clawed your way back in. You got that Forsberg goal. You had another goal to make it 3-2. And so you're heading into the locker room. You're probably feeling pretty good, all things considered. Oh, it could have been much worse. Like, they outplayed us significantly. Uh, what's sort of the message in terms of how you're you're navigating those next 40 minutes? Because obviously, I think at that point, you had kind of corralled the game a little bit. It, it definitely got much more control. Um, and, and you didn't wind up giving up another goal against until the overtime when, when McKinnon scored. So uh, clearly something went well for you defensively beyond just having Henrik Lundqvist. But what was that kind of conversation and adjustment like, uh, you know, from being down to nothing and then even after the first intermission in terms of just because the game clearly shifted in terms of the tempo it was being played at? Yeah, you know, and, and like, like again, you, you have to make a change uh, after what what happened. It's not game fifty five in a regular season. We, we we do an experiment here. You know, it, it, we need to we need to win this game, or we need to, in our case we need to at least uh, get into to, to a tie. So uh, we made that that change pretty quickly. Uh, I would say probably four or five shifts into it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was uh, you know one of those things when you're walking in, you know, more or less walking in straight to a wall, especially for me as a coach was like. Uh, how do you stop the bleeding? And that, that and I think we the game plan obviously worked, but um, you know when you're going into the third period, or obviously between the second and third period, you, you have so much experience in that locker room too. And if you look at the first game against Russia, two-one game, or or even uh, and, and Ovechkin scored very late in that game, and also the one thing game against Finland. I mean, our our foundation and our structure was was so solid. 
you know, those, those games, but also they were played at a slower, slower pace, obviously. So, uh, but we knew this because it was back to back for us. They were rested, rested going into this game. We knew this game was going to be really tough for us. Um, so I mean, obviously I'm, I'm tremendously proud of the way we turned the, the events around in that, in, in that game. But also I, I believe it's quite a bit of experience in our locker room that they really paid dividend at the end. Yeah. Well, and I think it helps, uh, as a cinematic experience, it helps now that we've gotten to see a lot of the key players uh, kind of involved, develop into what they are today. And I imagine, you know, you mentioned that you knew that they were going to be play very fast. You'd obviously seen them in, 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 in different games before you went, went up head to head against them that, you know, they had a lot of skill and they were fast, but I think I have to remind myself that, you know, at the time we'd only seen Connor McDavid for 45 NHL games at that moment. Uh, Austin Matthews hadn't even entered the league. Nathan McKinnon certainly wasn't the player he is now. So it's one of those teams that is obviously over time. You look at it and you go, Oh my God, I can't believe they had all those players. They're at a different stage of their career, but they, it was such an interesting stylistic matchup because your team, not to diminish the, the skill level, because you obviously had Forsberg and Landeskog and Backstrom and, and, and a bunch of great NHL players, but it was clearly a team that was built more from the net out. It was very uh, defensively strong. The blue line was the best in the tournament. So I, I love those matchups in terms of when two teams are just so different in terms of the way they're constructed, not to mention that you had this kind of inexperienced team where it's like, oh, we don't know what we're going to get from them compared to this veteran Swedish group where it was like, all right, this is like the most rock solid team in the tournament. We know exactly what we're going to get from them. So it was fast. Fascinating. I'm very curious about that sort of interplay between, uh, you know, coaching a team that, that, that you know what you're going to get and going up against a team that is just so unpredictable in that regard. Yeah, and th- that's just it. And that's what we were like, we we're talking before the game, what we should do with the matchup and everything else. But since we we're so successful in the other two games and we felt that the structure and everything else was was in place, uh, that we, we we want to continue on that uh, successful part or stretch of, of games. Uh, but when you see us going the other way, it's obviously uh, the skill and everything else on the, on the opponents, especially the, the speed of the game. Um, you know, you, you have to make a change. Uh, but again, uh, you know, as a coach, you're playing with the cards you have. And, and, and for me, as a, as, a, as a Swedish national team head coach, you're picking your own team. And so we know, we knew exactly what you're saying. I mean, uh, you know, Hank was was very, very still on, on the top of his game. Uh, we, we also knew our defense was, was going to be, uh, you know, one of the best, if not the best uh, defensive core in, in the tournament. So somehow you need to get the games into to your favors. And I think, I think we... Most of that tournament, unfortunately, uh, you know, in the semifinals game, we, you know, was a well, it was a bad bounce. Later, we, we lost that game, but defensively, over those those the, the course of the tournament, I think we, we delivered and uh, we did a, uh, we had a very solid performance. Uh, you know, you just wish, like you said, you know, maybe maybe a, goal, a couple more goal scorers on that team, and we we were playing that uh, final game against Canada. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the thing that really I took away from that game, obviously there's a bunch of great players on, on, on both sides. It, it was, you know, Nathan McKinnon scores the overtime winner. Um, obviously a, a bit bittersweet for you, but just kind of, you know, all these years later, like he's, you could see the player that he'd wind up turning into right at the time. He was still kind of struggling offensively. That avalanche team wasn't what it is today, but you could kind of see that, that the power and the speed and the skill that he, that he put on display. And I imagine that's what makes him such a nightmare matchup because he was fast enough to, to skate with Eric Carlson, but he was strong enough to, to, you know, go head to head in power with Matthias Ekholm. Like it's, it's kind of like you almost, how do you even match up with a player like that? Because you can't necessarily just pick one type of defenseman. It's, it's kind of, he can beat you both ways. So you're kind of you're screwed either way. It was such a fascinating matchup to see him kind of be the player. He wasn't that player at the time, but he wound up becoming that all these years later. 
Yeah, and, and I had the pleasure of obviously coaching against uh, both McKinnon and McDavid at uh, U18 level. So mm-hmm. I knew that they were good players, obviously, <laughs> uh, maybe not established NHL players at that point in time, but, um, you know, we, we, we knew that we were going to be very, very good. And, and we knew that the speed was was their game. Uh, but again, I mean, I got to play the cards I had. And, and um, you know, that, that's what we have to do as coaches. You're picking a team with where you think you have the best uh, chance of winning and, and uh, you know you have the cards you have but you know I was uh, I was um, it was an in- interesting tournament for me too being the first time being a, the head coach of a team and, and still being a third place team in that, that tournament obviously uh, yeah, we would love to play it against Canada in the last uh, last few games in the finals but um, you know Team Europe had also a very experienced team with Chara and, and uh, you know Kopitar uh, and whatnot so they, they had a very experienced team and you can see it was a little bit of a chess game in the, in the semifinals and unfortunately they they uh they had the, the the last call on that one, but uh, uh, no, it was a, it was an unbelievable experience. It was a, it was a fun experience, and like you said, it was a little bit of the the, the new hockey was uh, being played by by the that young North American team. Uh, it was a, a entertaining, I would say, a very entertaining for, for people. What I heard afterwards, obviously, I'm so involved in, in coaching my team, I'm not really a spectator, but uh, it was a it was a it was a fun game, and, and uh, it was a fun tournament for sure. Uh, okay. I know you're busy guys, so we're going to end here quickly. I have a couple rapid fire questions that, that I've got for you. Favorite player that you've gotten a chance to work with? I, I really don't. I can't say one one player. I have been fortunate enough to, to coach so many. Do you have a only, great do you have, player? Do you have a most talented player? Maybe it might not even translate it to actual on ice performance or the most points or the most goals, but just a player that you, that you got to see that you were like this guy, the things he can do with the puck. I just can't believe it. Uh, the, the best turnaround, turnaround uh, um, performance for me was when we we got the, the you know Daniel and, and Henrik back for the 2013 uh, World Championship because we we didn't we're not playing well uh, very well in that tournament and, and suddenly you know both of them came in and, and did an unbelievable turnaround job for us to to win the tournament but see how you know not only how talented and how good they were. Um, but also see how much leadership they took on and, and what a big uh, and show the passion, how much they uh, cared about everyone in the locker room and took care of everyone. That, that was to me, um, you know, an unbelievable, not, like I said, not just talent wise, but, but also as a, as a, as leaders and everything else. And that, uh, that was a special moment for, for me and, and obviously been fortunate to coach him a couple more times, but uh, yeah, no, that's, that's something that stick out for me. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Obviously, they were uh, my favorite players growing up here in Vancouver. So uh, I'm always uh, interested to talk about the cities. I, I imagine they were, they must have been slightly, you know, maybe not challenging, but more different to coach than, than your typical players, because obviously there was two of them, but also like what they did was so unique and different than everyone else in terms of the way they operated and the way they see the ice. I imagine there's an element as a coach of kind of just getting out of their way a little bit and just be like, yeah, the, the thing you guys did on that last shift, that was, that was good. Keep doing that as opposed to kind of trying to micromanage them too much. Cause they obviously seem to seem to have stumbled upon a formula that was working for them, especially at that time. Yeah. And, and when it comes to 2013 team was, uh, you know, especially how, how were we going to use them, you know, what situations and whatnot. So, you know, you as a, as a coach needs to need to make sure that they, they get the, the, the right repetitions and when, when they were again, those repetitions as well. So uh, there was a combination of that, but at the same time, I think, uh, you know, when you're coaching these, these talented players and the, the, the top-notch world-class players is you're there to help them out. Like you help them out in a sense of being successful at that point of time. Uh, everything when it comes to system-wise or help them out, uh, you know, with, with 
different things and, and play, uh, like you said, you know, play in a free mind. Um, I like mm-hmm. to use that word a quite play with a free mind and, and play towards their strengths. And obviously, you know, when, when it comes to, to Daniel and, and, and Henrik, I mean, the way they're, they're, they're moving the puck and the, the way that they, 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 they can slow the game down, uh, down and, and, and make a controlled game. Uh, you need to play in that, those don't, don't let allow them, even though you might have a different situation with other lines. So, um, you know, I think that's the biggest takeoff I, I have from the national team of coaching and some of the best in the world is, is you got to allow them to, to be who they are and not trying to change them. Number one, number two is to, um, you know, in what situations so or how are you going to use them and be very clear of their role on, on, the, on that team and have that discussion with them. Uh, and I think that's the, that's the biggest thing uh, for, 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 you know, for those players to be able to play free. Uh, I told my pal Jack Hahn that I was doing a podcast with you and he told me to ask you about Kent Johnson and your connection with him. Um, yeah, I know, I know Kent, Kent, I actually remember when Kent was born actually, but I know Kent's dad for, for a long time. He actually hired me for, for a coaching job back in the days, many, many moons ago, uh, down in Texas. Uh, so, uh, you know, Jay, uh, uh, and I've been keeping, t- you know, contact and, uh, you know, I've been, uh, uh, you know, Good friend with with Jay for for, for since then then is I talked about twenty five years now twenty years ago probably twenty years ago um, and uh, you know he keep asking questions about their kids a couple of times I've been uh, visiting them as well and he's he's come over with both uh, you know with with Kent and also his older brother Kyle coming over to Sweden and, and visiting and, and you know uh, practicing with teams and I helped him out with that as well and uh, but overall it's just you know uh, Kent's dad Jay is, is just a very good friend of mine. Yeah, the things that kid can do with the puck, unfortunately, is uh, World Junior experience got cut short here uh, the other day, but you already got to see a bit of a glimpse of it. And, and I, I can't wait to see how his game translates to the NHL level because just some of the stuff that he does with the puck is, is you know, we were talking about Zegers earlier. The, it's, it's very similar in terms of that creativity and just it's like almost a video game when he's out there. Yeah, and, and it was funny because, uh, uh, you know, Jay, the, I was talking about when, when Ken's was probably – five or six years old, maybe a little bit older than that. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, obviously his older brother, Cal, was, was there too. With the, we actually came in to run a couple of camps in, in, in BC. Um, you know, uh, kind of the biggest thing that we, I think we changed our mind on a couple of people there was that we, we allow, we played a lot of scrimmage games. We allow a lot of, uh, let, let them find a way. You know, don't just start doing tactics when at that age. You just do more of, a, you know, let them play and then and play a free mind again with, with a lot of small area scrimmage type of deals. And, and um, you know, I, I think, and, and, you know, what Jay, at least what Jay told me, like they implemented, I used that quite a bit, you know, we can't think how growing up and all the players they were playing with and, and that, you know, when the younger years. And I think that's a little bit of uh, what you see right now with, with how he, how, you know, Kent's playing, you know, with the free mind and, and he, he has no afraid to, to make, uh, you know, you know, obviously change the game by, by uh, making a move that probably no one ever, ever seen or, or, or try to do something, ever, uh, you know, outside the, the box. So, um, and uh, I know that, that Jay and, and obviously, uh, you know, Kent's uh, coaches growing up, I've been, been allowing him to do that. And I think that's where you see the product of right now. Well, there you have it. The Rickard Gromberg interview, as promised. Rickard was great. It was really fun to chat with him. Hopefully that came across uh, when you were listening. I, you can tell that he thinks about a lot of this stuff about how to, get better at his craft and work on all these details. And obviously, you know, the job itself has, has changed so much over the years, probably since he started to what it is now. And so seeing him, you know, embrace uh, evolving and adapting and, uh, you know, taking in new information and figuring out ways to get better at it is really cool. And and you'd think that that goes without saying, but 
you'd be surprised even at the NHL level um, how rooted in, in their ways certain coaches can be. And so it's awesome to to hear someone who is a coach, obviously not at the NHL level, but is a successful one and professional leagues talk about this way. And so hopefully, you know, I selfishly love to see him in the NHL one day. I think it'd be awesome having such a thoughtful and creative guy in the league. And I strongly suspect, you know, obviously depending on the situation he fell into and, and you know, the players he he had, but I, I suspect he'd do pretty well if, if given the right opportunity. So, uh, you know, he really seems to get it. And I think, I think that would be a really interesting possibility. Anyways, that's going to be it for today's episode of the PDOcast. We are going to be back with regularly scheduled programming and new shows starting tomorrow. Uh, in the schedule for the rest of the week, we've got uh, our pal Matt Porter coming on to talk about David Pasternak and uh, the next big mega contract he's going to be signing. Kevin Woodley will be in studio, and we're going to talk about goalies. And our pal Harmon Dial will also be joining on Friday for the mailbag so feel free to send in questions for any of those if you know you've got something on your mind if if you want to hear any of those guests in particular talk about something i know kevin woodley is a is a big favorite of everyone who listens to pdo cast and if you've got some intricacies about the goalie position or evaluating goalies that are that are on your mind certainly fire those away and and i'll uh, i'll bring them up when we have them on the show in the meantime uh if you want to help us out and show the the pdo cast some love uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Go hammer that five-star button on whatever platform you listen to us, and we'll be back tomorrow with more. So thank you for listening to the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.